in our fractured world today is to focus on building bridges. Building bridges to one another, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, building bridges to our community, building bridges to those people who need to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ. These are all different constituencies with different needs and different areas of concern. And building bridges is always a challenge. So let's think about this topic for a few minutes this morning. Paul's charge to the church. Paul's charge to the church. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 definitely is one of my favorite scripture passages in the whole Bible. This passage could easily be called the Apostle Paul's charge to the church. It is one of the great passages in the New Testament. And as we look at this passage for a few minutes this morning, it's important for us to know the context and setting of the passage. The Apostle Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey in about 52 A.D., He had great affection for the people in the church at Philippi. And Paul writes this letter to them while he was in prison at Rome, awaiting his own death. The letter is a powerful encouragement to the Christians in Philippi as they face many challenges because of their faith in Jesus, including the possibility of persecution and death themselves. It is also an appeal to to unity within the church. Let me read this passage. It was read so well in in the first part of the service, but let me read it again. It's a powerful, powerful passage. Philippians 4, beginning of verse 4. Paul says, and the Bible says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are conscious in all you do. Consider it in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Paul's first charge to the church at Philippi, in a very real sense, a charge to those of you who are members and participants here at South Run Baptist Church. And the first thing Paul would tell you to do is establish a culture of joy. Establish a culture of joys. He says in Philippians 4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. That's how important it was. I say it again. Rejoice. One of the most important things that church leaders can do with the vital assistance of the members of the congregation is to shape a healthy culture for their church. Shape a healthy culture for their church. You see, uh, the culture of a church includes the way people relate to each other in the congregation, the normal way the organization operates, the atmosphere within the organization, the attitudes of the leaders and the teachers and the leader and the Uh, people in the congregation, the values that are lived out by the people, not just the values on the wall, but the values that are actually lived out by the people. A few years ago, William Vanderblumen wrote a book entitled Culture Wins, The Roadmap to an Irresistible Workplace. And William served as the pastor of a large Presbyterian church in Texas, and then he changed careers and served as an executive for an oil and gas uh, company in Texas. He said the church had a terrible culture and admits that the culture was partly his fault. 
at the oil and gas company, he learned what hump day was all about. All the workers were looking forward to getting over the hump in the middle of the week and making it to the weekend. So William decided to start his own nonprofit company, which partners with churches to assist them in finding pastors and church staff members, a headhunter kind of organization for churches. And after the company had been operating for just a few years, his company won the best culture award for a small business within the United States. People love to work for his company and churches love to do business with his company. William was not striving to, the, to achieve this award. I don't even think he knew at that time that there was such a thing as a best culture for a small business award. So when he won the award, he went back and studied to see what they were doing because maybe they were doing something right. And he began to, uh, and he wrote a book that describes, you know, what they were doing, what uh, kind of uh, principles they were putting into place in order to make this a very positive culture for their company. Every church and every organization has a culture. Now, most of the time, the culture is not intentional, unfortunately. It just happens because it's the natural attitudes and actions of the leaders and the active members of the church, say. So church leaders need to be more intentional in building the kind of culture that they think God wants them to have in the organization, in the church family. Of course, there's good news and bad news about shaping the culture of a church. The good news is that you can have any culture within a church that the pastor and church leaders choose to have. For instance, the fruit of the Spirit is a good place to start, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. That's the good news. You can have any culture you choose to have. The bad news is that changing the culture of a church or any organization is not an easy thing to do. It takes commitment, it takes persistence, and it takes patience. Also, there's not one right culture for a church to have. Every church has its own personal style and approach and strengths. However, the Bible provides us with some basic qualities that any church should strive to have in the foundations of its culture. The Apostle Paul encouraged us us to always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Paul would say that joy should be a, va a valuable part of the culture of a church. In Ephesians 5.22, Paul tells us <clears throat> that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Obviously, these are great traits to strive to incorporate within the culture of your church. Remember, Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding ceremony in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. And wine is a strong symbol of joy throughout the Bible. So Jesus provided joy for that wedding ceremony in his day. And he's still providing us with joy within our churches today if we will seek it, if we will ask for it, if we will allow God's spirit to infuse our hearts with joy, if we will make joy a priority for our church culture. There's a new internet movie series called The Chosen that some of you have seen, and we're waiting for season three to begin. But it focuses on showing how Jesus changed the culture among his group of disciples. As you remember, the disciples were kind of a hot mess as a group at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Most of them hated Matthew, who, were, who was a tax collector. James and John were always trying to gain more power within the group. Simon and Peter was very headstrong and impulsive. 
And Simon the Zealot wanted to foster a violent uprising against Rome. When the disciples were first called to follow Jesus, the culture within the group of disciples was not very healthy. And the Chosen provides us with a powerful glimpse of what this culture probably looked like. And so I want us to view just a brief video clip from The Chosen, which shows Jesus with James and John while they were ministering in a Samaritan village called Sychar. Uh, Jesus had just uh, had an encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. She was from Sychar. She went back, spread the word about Jesus. Everyone came out to see Jesus, and people were very interested in Jesus and his message. And, uh, but remember, the Jews and the Samaritans had a long-standing, powerful hatred for one another. So this scene shows James and John with Jesus just outside this village of Sychar, this Samaritan village. Let's watch this clip for just a minute. Rabbi, well, you couldn't wait, could you? We're sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a finger. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, Big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. And what would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain out and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To help? You think it was just to be more helpful? Or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. Sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way. To be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire, to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. <laughs> Thank you.
You too. You're like a storm on the sea. Come on. Thunder exploding out of your chests at every turn. <laughs> In fact, that's what I'm going to call you from now on. James and John, the sons of thunder. Obviously, Jesus needed to change the culture within his group of disciples. They needed to get rid of their anger. They needed to have a sense of humility. They needed to be positive about reaching people outside of their Jewish group. You see, it's so important to focus on shaping the culture of your church. The Apostle Paul would encourage us to create a culture of joy within our church. Despite our circumstances, we can experience joy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. We can experience joy because we know that this world is our temporary home. That's Carrie Underwood's song, as the song says so well. Our real home, our permanent home is in heaven. We can experience joy because we have a mission in life. We have a purpose in life. We're a part of God's family here on earth. We need to establish a culture of joy within our church because joy is a key element of God's kingdom. But secondly, let's notice that God, Paul tells us that we need to establish a culture of love and care for one another. He goes on to say in verse four, in first part of in chapter four, first part of verse five, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Now, the message is a contemporary paraphrase of the Bible uh, composed by Eugene Peterson, and the message states it this way. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. The Amplified Bible translates this passage like this. Let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all people. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be involved in, where people are looking out for one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, affirming one another. Joyce Landorf wrote a great book a number of years ago entitled Irregular People. And in this excellent book, she emphasizes that there are basically two types of people in the world. There are basement people and balcony people. She says that basement people are always trying to pull others down in life. They're always trying to pull people down to their own level of low self-esteem and despair and loneliness and heartache. These basement people are full of criticisms and negativisms and cynicism. They often think that they're just sharing the truth with you when they unload on you with things like, why can't you ever do anything right? Or why do you make so many mistakes? Or you'll never amount to anything in life. Or that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why can't you ever be good? The world is filled with basement people. People who are always negative in their attitudes. They're always pessimistic in their approach to life. They're always critical in their style. Of course, the opposite of basement people are the balcony people. These are the folks who are always cheering you on in life. They are people who provide encouragement and hope and affirmation. They're the ones on the sideline cheering you on to victory in life, saying things like, you can do it. You can make it. I've got confidence in you. I'll stand with you. I'll cheer you on. Isn't it wonderful to have balcony people in your life? These folks make life so much more fun and enjoyable and exciting and challenging. 
Of course, Jesus was the greatest balcony person of all time. He said, you are the light of the world. He called fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We need a culture in our churches in which people are encouraging each other, affirming one another, supporting one another. One of the best gifts that you can provide for your pastor and your church staff and your church leaders is to regularly provide them with positive affirmation, with encouragement and support and personal care. Build this trade into the culture of your church. Let your pastor and church leaders know that you plan to be one of their balcony people. So Paul's charge to the church includes establishing a culture of joy, establishing a culture of love and care for one another, and thirdly, establishing a culture that is focused on the church's primary vision or mission. And Paul goes on to say, remember, the Lord is coming soon. We need to establish a culture within our churches that is always focused on our real mission, our vision, our great commission from Jesus. The fact that the Lord is coming soon reminds us that we have a job to carry out. We have a mission to perform. We have a priority to fulfill while we're living in this world. And that priority is to reach out to a lost world with the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ. That should be the primary mission for every church. Of course, there are many, many ways to carry out that mission. But every church needs to decide upon, upon their core mission, their core vision. How are we planning to reach out to our community and to the world with the message of the gospel? I just read a blog post not long ago from Donald Miller, who's a Christian writer and entrepreneur. And he said that the most important job of a church leader is to make certain that the church focuses on its God-given vision. By far the best way for a church to achieve its mission is by every member sharing the grace and love of Jesus with friends and family members and co-workers. Well, someone might say, uh, there are tens of thousands of people in Fairfax County and this surrounding area in northern Virginia who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. So how can we hope to reach all of those people? How can we ever achieve our mission? And the answer actually is simple. We reach all of those people one person at a time. We reach them one person at a time. We must deal with people on an individual basis. We must have a personal concern for people. The key is for each and every person in your church to reach out to just one person for Christ at a time. That's how you can have a victorious church. That's how you can literally tear down the gates of hell in your community. And that's the method that Jesus wants us to use. North Star Church Network, you probably uh, remember, encouraged our churches to focus on the art of neighboring several years ago. Uh, get to know your next door neighbor. Pray for them on a regular basis. Reach out to them with the love of Jesus. I just moved, my wife and I just moved uh, uh, down to Fredericksburg area in anticipation of our retirement at the end of this year. But uh, so I've got to start all again, getting to know my neighbors in this area and praying for them on a regular basis and having on my refrigerator the names of my neighbors and be praying for them, even though I know, don't know much about them right now. But I'm just praying that I get to know them and, and, and that God will be with them. But we have to have a personal concern for the people right around us. That's how you achieve your mission. If each Christian will take the initiative to just reach out to one person at a time with the love of Jesus and the message of the gospel, we can reach this whole world for Jesus Christ. If each of us will just reach out to one neighbor, one friend, one co-worker at a time. I think I mentioned to you before when I was here that Charles Allen, a noted preacher in the last century, uh, he figured out that if you start with one Christian and that Christian 
reaches one person for Christ during the course of a whole year and just disciples that person and really uh, gets them strong in their faith. And then next year you have two Christians and each one of them both reach out to one person for Christ that following year and, the, and they disciple that person and, and help them to have a strong commitment to Christ. That gives you how many Christians in at the end of that year? Four Christians. And if each one of those four do that same thing the next year, then you have eight Christians and then the next year, 16 and so forth. Well, you know, the truth is if that process continued for just 32 years, then the entire world could be one to Jesus Christ. So you can reach all of Northern Virginia in just 16 or 17 years by just each person reaching one. And that's if you start with one person. It greatly reduces the amount of time if you start with a congregation of people. And each one just reaches one person for Christ during the course of a year. We can reach our world for Jesus Christ. It's all about a personal concern and personal love for people around us. And a church this size can have a huge impact for Jesus Christ if folks in the congregation will get serious about praying for their neighbors and co-workers and relatives and friends in the area. John Roebling faced a very daunting challenge as he constructed the suspension bridge over the Niagara Gorge. Just before he began construction, the suspension bridge over the Ohio River came crashing to the ground. No one thought that Roebling would be successful. However, in March of 1855, Roebling completed his bridge. It was a very simple yet sturdy structure. Four plain towers, 60 feet high, four cables, 10 inches in diameter, and a straightforward timber truss joining the two levels into one span. The bottom level was for carriage and pedestrian tra travel, and the upper level was for the Great Western Canadian Railroad. On Friday, March 16, 1855, the first train crossed over the bridge. It was a heavily loaded cargo train, and the crossing was a success. A few days later, the first passenger train crossed over from Canada to America. Uh, Roebling wrote a note to his family, proudly telling them, no one is afraid to cross. You see, the role of a church is to build bridges to the congregation, to the community, and to the world. That's a very, very daunting task, sometimes a perilous task. But with God's help and with God's power, this critical task can be completed. So my charge to those of you who are actively involved in South, South Rum Baptist Church is to be about the task of building those bridges by establishing a culture of joy, by establishing a culture of love and care for one another, and by establishing a culture that's focused like a laser on your vision and mission, ultimately the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ with, with his love and his grace. That's the challenge. And it's a challenge that all of us can achieve with the power of God's Holy Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for letting us be a part of what you're doing in the world. And you're doing some awesome things in the world. Help us keep our eyes open to see what you're up to in the world and, and how you're reaching out to people and touching hearts and changing lives. Help us to get in on that uh, ministry that you want us to be a part of. Help us to pray for the folks around us on a daily basis. Help us to reach out to them with your love and with the message of the gospel when the time is appropriate. Lord, help us just to be led and directed by your spirit in this endeavor. 
And Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the ministry that they have in their community. I thank you for the people involved. And I pray your blessings on each one and your blessings upon this church family. And we look forward to seeing miracles take place in this community and around the world because of the faithfulness of the people at South Run Baptist Church. And I place them in your hands and trust them to your care. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.